You're listening to a sermon from New Hill Church. We pray that this message helps you to put Jesus into perspective. If you have questions about a relationship with Jesus or about this sermon, please email us at engage at newhilloh.com. Church, uh, we started in Malachi last week, and the series is, I don't know, you tell me. And when we read and look at uh, the book of the prophet Malachi, we see this dialogue back and forth between God and his people. And God's posing a question. He's really answering it for them, but he knows their heart. He knows their way, and he knows exactly how they would answer. So it's not really God waiting for them to actually um, give their childish response um, to his dispute. Um, It's God beating them to the punch. And last week, we dealt with a very difficult um, text, and we talked about how God loves his people. And and the point wasn't to to harp on... um, hating Esau, right? It was the love for Jacob because we all are sinners and fall short of the glory of God. We, we are born that way. It's our nature. We are children of wrath by nature, and God has saved us by his grace. So the beauty to be taken away from last week is that God loves his people by showing them grace and mercy when they didn't deserve it and didn't earn it. And that's what, what should draw us to this because in Malachi, we're getting a rebuke. So a people chosen for God have turned away from God. So he's rebuking them and reminding them of his love for them. And we should be reminded of that as believers, that he does indeed love us, right? Romans talks about he's, he's faithful even when we are faithless. So that should draw us closer to him, not away from him, in the sense where we'd be like, well, we can just do whatever we want because God loves us and he's faithful when we're faithless. No, it should draw us closer because that's the goodness of God. Amen, church? Amen. So this week we have this passage that Nelson just read, and it's a direct rebuke to the top. He's dealing with the priest. A lot of times, we, we feel like in our workplaces, it's like, how come I'm taking orders from my supervisor, but I'm the one always getting rebuked, and I'm like doing what I'm told to do, right? It, but this is directly to the top. The priests are being put on blast. It's that old saying, crap rolls downhill. You all know that saying? Maybe you've heard it in a phrased a little bit differently. It's how I heard it growing up. But it was something that my dad often reminded me of. If you're experiencing something here, right, and you're, you're lower and you're doing what you're supposed to do, there's a good chance that it's starting at the top. And that also good things roll downhill. Good leadership leads to, to good work, right? Things getting done. Things being done the right way. Done well. But here we get this rebuke directly to the priest. The main point I want to draw Um, out of this text for us that I I believe God is is really teaching us this morning, church, is that worship is about your heart, not your house. That's the main point for us this morning. Worship is about your heart, not your house. What I mean by house is your location, right? It could be your house of worship. It could be the the place that you are, but it's not about where you are. It's about where it's from, and it should be from our heart. Matt Chandler says this about worship. He says, worship is the way of life for those entranced by and passionate for the glory of God. So our place of worship comes from our understanding of God. When we, that's why theology and doctrine and what you actually believe and know from the Bible does, in fact, matter. Because when you know more about God, it draws you closer to God. When we say, when your pastors here say, we love studying doctrine, it's because we love knowing more and more about the God who created us and saved us for himself and his glory. So these things are really important. And unfortunately, we become complacent people, we become the frozen chosen, and we fall into 
um, corruption and we forget that um, God deserves commendation and we often are led into some kind of trial or curse. And those are three points for us this morning that drive home that worship is about your heart, not your house. We're going to look in this text and see the corruption, commendation, and cursing. First point is corruption. We get here a good glimpse at this uh, damaged relationship between God and Israel. We see that God has, has brought them out of Babylonian cap- captivity about a century earlier, right? So 100 years they've, they've been out of this. And at first, right in that moment, like when like something's done or something's happened and you just feel like renewed, and then 100 years goes by and you're like, Kind of like getting settled in and don't really feel like I have to do this as much anymore. I've, I've, I got that stimulus check, so I don't really need to pray to God anymore that you know, money would be coming in. I don't really need the inflow right now. I've got plenty of it, and I'm about to stimulate the economy, right? We're not praying as much. We feel like we're on the other side, and we become complacent. Even worse here is that this is a direct look at the brokenness of the priest. Those who should be the leaders, right, leading God's people into a wholesome place of worship. Verse 6, we pick up here. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts? O priest who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? Our first issue here has to do with honor. That God is not receiving the honor that he so deserves. And I love the, the basic understanding here of honor. It gives us this clear picture of, of a child and their father, right? We, we do see brokenness in, in homes now, and we see that maybe some families don't really respect the dad. But in a general sense, we all understand that a father is respected by their kids, right? There's this, this general respect. At least for me, I don't know about you all, I knew if there wasn't a general respect, there was a general hand coming in my direction, Right, and my dad uh, always teases. He's like, I could have, I could have got you a couple good times, but I like let it slide. But I always knew that it was a possibility. There's this general respect I had for my dad, because it's my dad. He's trying to raise me the right way. So then God, taking this practical example, a son honors his father and a servant his master. If then, I'm a father, where is my honor? See, the Lord has been reprioritized by his people to the bottom of their list. They've become complacent. They've, they've lost their joy and clearly have forgotten God's goodness. In the past century, to bring them out of captivity, to allow them, in, in Nehemiah and Ezra, where we, we see that God has helped them to rebuild the walls and the temple and the place of worship, right? That they would be able to safely worship their God. They've forgotten all this. And here we go with some more back and forth between God and the people because when we're wrong, we don't just want to take it, right? We've got to give it back. What do they say? But you say, how have we despised your name? God calls them out. Instead of honor, so not only is God not getting honor, he's getting the exact opposite. When he deserved their respect and their glorification of him and his great name, Instead, he was being hated and despised among his people, those whom he has saved. They've given him the complete opposite. God has deserved their very best, instead got their hate. Church, God deserves our very best. You want to talk about something crazy, 
We get annoyed with, with the churches that want you to like dress in suit and tie. It actually started with some very good ideology that we want to wear our best for God and do our best for God. Now we're at a point where wearing our best and looking our best looks different culturally, right? But it started out in a good place. That's why we're not so strict on, on what you come in wearing, but that you come ready to worship God. God deserves our very best in every area of our life, not some areas of our life. Verses 7 and 8 continue on. God gives them an answer. This is that back and forth. By offering polluted food on my altar, but you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals and sacrifices, is that not evil? So he's, he's throwing it back on them. Is that, is that not evil? Well, you want to know? When you offer blind animals and sacrifices, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show, show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? Here's what they've done. They've offered polluted food on God's altar. And it became super clear in verse 8 that they've given God broken sacrifices. Deuteronomy 15.21 says... That's something they aren't supposed to do. That verse reads, Deuteronomy 15, 21, but if it has any blemish, if it is lame or blind or has any serious blemish, whatever, whatsoever, you shall not sacrifice it to the Lord your God. So the sacrifices offered up were not to be blind, lame, or have any serious blemish. Guess what? They had all of that. And then super practical, I don't have to come up with an illustration here. God asked them, he says, offer that to your governor. Would he accept that or return to you some kind of reward? I love going over to my brother-in-law, um, Jeremy, when we're like, playing some video games and whatnot. Like, I, I know the feeling, like your kids get the controllers all sticky, and then like, you'll be standing still in like a war game. You know, you're like holding your, your weapon. And then the one controller, because there's like candy and stuff in it, your guy's just moving forward, and you're not doing anything. So anytime you go over to Jeremy's, rest assured, you will start out with the good controller. Why? Because he wants to respect and honor his guest. He wants to treat them with the utmost respect. Now, once the circulation gets going, you got people going, and we're trading off controllers, no telling if your guy's just going to start walking on his own. The controller's going around. But if you and Jeremy are starting out, he will give you the good controller. Because that's what we do for our guests, right? Now imagine, practically speaking, you have the president over, whichever one you like or whatever, whatever one, and you have them over, and you say, hey, guess what? I got some leftover McDonald's that we can chow down together. Not even McDonald's, leftover McDonald's. I just got it in the freezer. Go, go grab it, sir. And they go into the freezer and they're grabbing this leftover large fry. It's like half eaten. They've got some chicken nuggets. And they pull that off of four ribeye steaks and some of the finest wine the world's ever seen. And they're like, he's got this and we're eating leftover McDonald's. No respect. I don't get no respect around here, right? That's not how it rolls. And, and to God, church, more importantly, it's not just rude, it's sinful. That's what's crazy. As we take some of these, these things that, that we do to people around us, which really to our friends, we do go out of our way. We do give them the better controller. We do give them the better drink. We do give them the better food. We do give them the benefit of the doubt. We do everything. We go out of our way 
unbelievably for those in our life. But for God, we just dump whatever's left over. And for us in the, the new covenant, being here on this side of history, Paul opens up and tells us we don't have to offer up sacrifices anymore. But in Romans 12, he gives us the words that we, can, we often talk about here. He says, I implore you, brothers, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is holy and acceptable in your spiritual worship. So we do offer up our life as obedience to the Lord, showing the world what he has done to us on the inside so that we would live by it on the outside. And being in the new covenant, we, we know that we don't offer up endless sacrifices for our sins. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice once and for all, but we do offer up our life as a sacrifice. It is a way that we are sanctified, and it shows the washing away of our corruption and living a life of obedience by honoring God as he so deserves. And they were giving God their leftovers. And it's funny to, to think we're any different, but think about ways in which we, we give to the church. We'll give to the church because we got a, our bank account was stimulated a little bit. So like now we can, we can give, but we're giving out of our abundance, not out of worship, not, not because of worship, not because of who we see God and how we see him. We donate things to the church, not because the church needs it, because we don't need it. Oh, could, 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 the, could the church use this? It's like, well, I mean, I don't know. And it's like, I, I'm, I'm going to dump it anyway. And it's like, oh, so like that was on the way to the dumpster. Yeah, but can you pick it up? Oh, you don't even want to take it to the dumpster. You want Pastor Gary to come take his truck and we'll pick up this 400 pound thing that nobody wants, but you think God wants it, right? And it's like, yeah, because I just got a better one. Oh, better one. Oh, and it's funny, church, and like, really, like, you know, we could laugh about that. A lot of us maybe have never been in that, that example. But we do this to God every day. Every day. Everywhere we turn, we, we start to give him our second best. We start to give him a little bit of effort. We give him the, the, the last of our fruit when we're called to give the first fruits. Verse 9. And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? Not only are they giving up broken sacrifices, horrible offerings, not holy to the Lord, not, not out of a right place of worship, but they expect a favor from it. So back to the illustration earlier, president comes over, I give him some McDonald's, and I'm like, hey, by the way, care to pardon me? I could use some help right now. I got like a speeding ticket going to call into the court and say, double that ticket, right? It's crazy that we expect God to, to, to bless us with an abundance of this or that when we don't even give him our life. We don't even give him our time. I'm not even talking money. Like, forget, forget our giving box right now. Like, we're called to give God the first of everything we have. Our time. But, you know, like... Don't want Kate Lopez, you know, scheduling me to, to greet on Sunday morning. I ain't got time for that. That's the one Sunday I, uh, I just can't do it. And it, it's not about the church. It's about Jesus and what he deserves. When we, when we greet, when we help with the kids, when we 
sit in those chaotic moments in the littles, minis, or bigs class, like whatever class you're in, those moments are not about you, about me, but about Jesus and pointing the kids to Jesus and glorifying Jesus in those chaotic moments. And verse 10 shows us that they were all in on it. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. They were all in on it. That one person, church, if we ever get to a point where we're coming here out of obligation, I pray to God one of you would lock the door and say, we are not going in there and opening any Bible until we know the God of the Bible. And that's what he says. God says that there was one of, one of you. And they looked to these offerings. These offerings they saw as atonement for their sins. And he says, if you would, one of you would just shut the door. So we could get back to the right place of worship. See, what is going on is a sign that they've easily forgotten how worthy God is of our commendation. Point number two. God is worthy of our commendation, which is praise. He's worthy of all that praise. It's not an option, right? We, we've talked about it a million times here. That God is glorious whether or not we glorify Him. He's deserving of it whether or not we realize it. He's still God whether or not you acknowledge it this morning. He is deserving of our commendation. God is not simply a being that is demanding people bow down, but He is the creator and sustainer of all things, and He deserves this. Verse 14. Look what happens here. It says, Cursed be the cheat, who has a male in his flock and bows it and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. He says, cursed be the one who does such a thing. Why? Because he says, I am a great king, and my name will be feared among the nations. God here is boldly claiming his title as king, and he's claiming the due respect that should rightly follow. Now back to the comparison of governors, right? He's just talked about, would you give that to your governor? Also, I am a great king. The governor doesn't deserve these offerings. The king surely doesn't. This is eye-opening to them and should be to us this morning. There's no reason that God should continue receiving our second fruits or the, the last of our offerings. And the point is, he says, the cheat. Cursed be the cheat who does what? Vows, who has a male in his flock and vows it, yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. This is again important wording for us to understand that worship church is about our heart, not our house. It's one thing to be without, it's another thing to be unwilling. Look at the widow's offering in Mark 12. It says there in Mark 12, it says, um, many rich put in large sums. A lot of us have heard this. A poor, woman, a poor woman came and gave two copper coins, which makes a penny. Jesus said, truly, I say to you, this poor woman has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box, for they contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. A couple things here. I'm not saying if, if you are the breadwinner of the church, that your giving is always in vain. But sacrifice, offering, requires sacrifice. 
I wish I would have wrote it down who said it, but someone somewhere probably said in my studies this week is that sacrifice takes sacrifice. And I've heard it before that like if you have money, right? If you are the breadwinner, you write a check, it's easy. But you know what's not easy for the breadwinner? Time. Does it hurt when you give time? Do you, do you give your time until it hurts a little bit? That's sacrifice. Do you write the check that you know is, is easy because you just paid off that debt, so now you, you can give like 10% of your debt to this? Or do, you, do we give until like we fill it a little bit? We think about it and we pray about it a little bit. You see, we talk about at church not, hey, go give 10%, let's see your W-2s and throw it into that box. We as a church, we say, Paul says, pray that amount in your heart because God loves a cheerful giver. But becoming cheerful requires sacrifice. And I'm not saying this morning, dump your entire stimulus into the offering. But I'm pleading with us, each of us this morning, church, consider where our heart is, not where our hand is. See, we're, we're going to hear these things. We're going to hear God's word. We're continuing reading through God's word. And, and our head's going to hear it, right? And then we might even try and go out and do some good with that. But we've bypassed the heart. We never felt it. Therefore, it is not out of a place of right worship. It's, it's done in vain. It's done in conceit. Not because of who Jesus is. It's not worship. And the reason is because God, King of all creation, is deserving. Are, they're not going to give God his praise. We're not going to give him his praise, church. Guess what? Verse 11. Let's jump back a little bit. From the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name in a pure offering. Not, not a blemished offering, a pure offering. God will get what he deserves. God, at the end of eternity, I, I heard one pastor one time say, everybody goes to heaven because it says every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. And I said, it will. Because God is going to get what God deserves, the glory. But the people on that day, it will be too late. But God, rest assured, gets what he deserves. And to those who don't do so, chapter 2, there's cursing. Point number 3, there's a curse. His priests weren't going to walk away just willing, like we're all good. No, there's a curse here. God promises this curse, and the, the peace is directly cast out to the priest. This part right here is a curse to the priest. God's not, hey, I'm going to get the people. He's going directly at them. And now, O priest, in verse 1 of chapter 2, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offspring, and you shall be taken away with it. Now here's the crazy thing, church. How many of you all know what dung is? I got some people, got the farmers, like some people who have some animals on their land, like absolutely I know what dung is, and you can call it Greek, you can call it Hebrew, you can call it English, Latin, whatever. Dung is poop. So they are not offering these animals rightly, they're offering blemished animals, and God is, is taking the same example that he is going to to take the pieces of the animal that they offered to him, and he's going to spread their feces on their face. 
And you know what this is? This is, this is showing them the depravity of their nature. And it seems harsh and it seems crazy, but it is so deserving to an unworthy people that they are not worshiping God as he so deserves. You don't want to give him the commendation he deserves, the praise that is due to him. There's a curse. For this one, it was pretty horrible. But how much horrible an eternity separated from God would be. How horrible that would be. Dung to them should be something that just gets them back on the right track. Like, yeah, that was a, a crappy situation, but back on track. But the problem is, is these very people God is cursing, God is trying to get back on track, are the people who are called and chosen to keep God's people on track. These are the priests. Verse 7. Actually, I'm, I'm going to go back. Verse 4, and I'll read through 7. Sorry, Matt. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi, Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me, and he stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. God's talking about this covenant that he had with Levi, and a lot of us don't talk about this covenant a lot, right? We talk about many other covenants, but this one was very important. It was between God and the people he had called to lead his people and to worship, to offer up these sacrifices, to keep an eye on these sacrifices, make sure that, that people weren't bringing in the, the blemished animal, but bringing God a right sacrifice. And here in the New Testament, we get a very important touch on this with pastors, as we pastors take on the duty of leading God's people into right worship. Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 16. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather... Speaking the truth and love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Pastors are to be doing the same thing, leading God's people into worship. And guess what? We don't have to get our hands dirty with bloody sacrifices up on the altar anymore. We look to the one who was the perfect sacrifice on the cross and we point each other to that. We walk toward that together. And I say to you this morning, church, follow me as I follow Christ. And I pray that each one of you could look to your neighbor and say the same thing. Because we should be doing so. We should be looking to the cross. We should be looking to Jesus. We should be reading the scriptures. We should know that it's God's word. We should know that it's beneficial to us and our life and it is holy and good and that it was given for our good and God's glory. And this morning, I pray that that would lead us into a right place of worship, not the right place to worship. 
that we would be worshiping from the heart, not looking for a, a church with the best programs, a church with the best light show, a church with the best guitarist, even though I think we got a pretty good one, Don, knelling some licks today, very good. So you can check that one on your list, we got that. But my prayer is that we begin to think about these things. When we come into the church building, are we more worried about, about how we're feeling that day or about how, man, like there's some shadows cast on this wall. I don't know if you all have seen, but, but there's some marker bleeding through the wall. Like, are we concerned about it? Gary's telling me that. He's like, I don't know what's going on. And I'm like, me either, but let's not talk about it this morning because we're worshiping Jesus, man. And he's not worried about it either, but we're talking through these things. And it just reminds me each and every time, church, that it doesn't matter where we are. Jesus said it. There's going to come a time and place where you'll no longer worship here in Jerusalem, but you'll worship in spirit and in truth wherever we are. So whether we go out, as we go out to be the church, we should be actively worshiping the king as he so deserves. When we come in, we should be worshiping our king because of who he is and what he's done. And that comes from a right place and a right heart. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning, and I thank you for this, this reminder out of your word that it doesn't matter how much we give. It's about where we're given from. Whether it be our time, our effort, our resources, our finances, whatever we give to you, Lord, I pray that you would help us to check our heart before we write a check, before we sign up and schedule ourselves on a volunteer team. I pray that you would just lead us into a right place of worship. I pray that you would lead us in every area of our life, God, that we would not lean on our own understanding, but God, we would, we would walk this life together, we would do life together, but we would be led by you, our God. And along the way, we would stop and find, find areas where you're working and, and recognize the need that we need to stop and praise you because of who you are and what you've done. God, I pray most of all that this would be an encouragement to us because it isn't about how much we give. It's about why we give. It's about the heart. It's about recognizing who you are, God. And when we look at the cross, we realize we're indebted to you. We owe you everything and you ask nothing but that we would believe in you. God, and I pray that that faith that you've given to us, you've gifted us faith. And I pray that we would be obedient. God, that we would go and be a light because of what you've done. God, that we wouldn't just gather to talk about these things on Sunday mornings, but we would actually go out and point people to the goodness of our God, our Lord and our Savior who paid the price once and for all, the perfect sacrifice. So as we leave here today, God, I pray that you would encourage the believer to rest in that to know it's not about, about where we're at, but about where we're coming from. And I pray to the person here who maybe doesn't believe in you, doesn't care about you, I pray that you would soften their heart. Help them to realize that there's no sacrifice we could come up with on our own. There's no sacrifice we could lay upon the altar that could atone for our sin. There's nothing but the blood of Jesus. And I pray that you would encourage us in that and lead us, guide us 
be our vision. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.